0: Hey, Rarecast listeners. I wanted to tell you about a new program from Global Genes called Data DIY. Access to data is essential for advancing the understanding and treatment of rare diseases. The challenge for patient advocates and organizations is to be as savvy about data as researchers and clinicians. The Global Genes Data DIY program teaches organization leaders. How to Become Empowered Data Owners and Stewards. If you'd like to learn more about the program, attend an upcoming Data DIY Workshop, or view resources, go to globalgenes.org forward slash data DIY. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. ALS is a progressive neurodegenerative disease. As motor neurons die, people with the condition grow weaker and lose motor function. For most, death occurs within three to five years of diagnosis. Brainstorm Cell Therapeutics is conducting a Phase three clinical trial of its autologous stem cell therapy that programs cells taken from patients to produce neuroprotective factors that promote the survival of neurons. We spoke to Ralph Kern, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Medical Officer of Brainstorm Cell Therapeutics, about ALS the company's late-stage experimental therapy, and how its approach may provide benefits for patients with other neurodegenerative conditions. Ralph, thanks for joining us.
1: Pleasure to uh, be here today. Thank you for the invite.
0: We're going to talk about ALS, neurodegenerative diseases, and brainstorm cell therapeutics, efforts to develop stem cell therapies to treat these conditions. We've spoken to your CEO about two years ago, and we're hoping to get an update on the progress that's been made since then. Let's start with ALS. What is it? How rare is it? And how does the disease manifest itself and progress?
1: Sure. Uh, ALS is uh, a very challenging uh, disease. It's uh, neurodegenerative disorder. In other words, it's a Disorder where the nervous system deteriorates and and patients have it lose function. It's uh, primarily involving the motor system, in other words, the part of the brain that controls movement and function, and uh, that can you know manifest a number of ways. Uh, Most commonly, uh, muscle weakness, trouble with walking, speaking, swallowing, hand function and uh, ultimately may affect the breathing muscles which is uh, often uh, often the cause of death um it's um it occurs in about 30,000 uh, individuals in the United States and about 400,000 people worldwide and uh usually begins in adult life um can occur as early as the 20s and 30s but more often uh later in adult life And as you know, it's uh, relentlessly progressive. It can vary in terms of speed, but the average survival uh, after diagnosis is about uh, 30 months. So it's a very quick and relentlessly progressive disorder.
0: And how is it treated today?
1: In the United States, there are two approved therapies. One is called Riluzol, which was approved over 25 years ago. And more recently, there's a new therapy uh, called Adarabone that was approved uh, 2017. Uh, these are uh, therapies that um, have a small effect on survival or function. Uh, but for the major- majority of patients with ALS, there's a very large unmet need. So the possibility of developing new therapies has received a lot of attention recently.
0: Were we in understanding the the biology of the disease?
1: Well, I think there's been a lot of progress. I've been involved in ALS uh, for over 30 years, and, and definitely in the last five years, there's been a lot of progress in terms of the genetics, um, how environmental factors might influence the disease, and um, what, uh, what actually happens uh, when the motor system deteriorates, particularly... Around things like nerve like inflammation that occurs within the nervous system, and how uh, you know how specific pathways uh, have been identified, and genetic how genetic factors lead to some of those processes. So I think there's been a lot of progress. And uh, even though there are uh, over fifty failed clinical trials, I think we're I think we're going to see some progress in the next few years.
0: You're developing a, a platform for therapies using mesenchymal stem cells. What are mesenchymal stem cells, and what makes them attractive to use as a treatment for neurodegenerative diseases?
1: Great question. So first of all, we, you know, we are using mesenchymal stem cells as a, cell, as a cell source. They're derived from the bone marrow, and we, we, we're not providing a stem cell treatment. In other words, it's not a cell replacement treatment. We're using uh, the mesenchymal stem cells to create a group of cells that can be used as a drug delivery device. And so, in other words, the cells manufacture biological molecules that are important to uh, tame the disease, reduce inflammation, and repair and restore the nervous system. And the cells are a way of delivering those molecules at or near the site of damage uh, the the cells are delivered into the spinal fluid directly and uh, there's been a lot of uh, good science lately showing how uh, uh treatments delivered into the spinal fluid can travel freely throughout the brain and uh and be available to uh brain cells uh to uh change the course of their disease so so I think that this is a very exciting um proposal for two reasons. One is that we're using cells to deliver drugs rather than delivering drugs themselves. And secondly, we're delivering the cells directly into the spinal fluid and brain compartment, So it, uh, it gets around the problem of the blood-brain barrier, which has been an issue for many years.
0: What do you have to do to prepare the cells for treatment?
1: So the cells are derived from the bone marrow. The mesenchymal stem cells are not the blood-forming cells. They're support cells in the bone marrow, and uh, they're about 1 in 10,000 bone marrow cells. They uh, are purified and grown in uh, culture, and then we freeze the intermediate product, uh, and that uh, allows for a single uh, draw of uh, mesenchymal stem cells from the bone marrow to produce years of treatment. And uh, the second step is to actually create the product. We take the undifferentiated cryopreserved mesenchymal stem cell. We modify it in culture and expand the cells to produce the final product, which uh, is then placed in a syringe and then delivered by in a temperature-controlled chipping uh, container to the hospital uh, directly to the doctor for injection. So this is uh, essentially taking uh, people's own cells and turning it into an off-the-shelf product that can be uh, very efficiently prepared and then delivered back to the hospital for uh, administration.
0: And, and the cells you're, you're using are not replacing some brain cells that have been lost, but you're using them to deliver neurotropic factors that they produce. What's the thinking here?
1: Well, the thinking is that in, in ALS and other neurodegenerative diseases, the uh, support system and the nervous system fails, and these are the neurotrophic factors that are required to maintain the stability and function of the functioning nervous tissue. Uh, in, in ALS in particular, there are a number of neurotrophic factors. Uh, some of them are called the VEGF or VEGF or BDNF or brain-derived neurotrophic factors. And, uh, something called GDNF or, or uh, gliotrophic, uh, derived neurotrophic factor. And, uh, these are, uh, factors that are present in the brain where there's very well described receptor systems. And, uh, in ALS, they are deficient. And, uh, we believe that uh, replacing these factors directly within the brain itself can help, uh, modify the disease course. So that, that's the principle. The cells are, essentially a biological molecule uh, delivery system. One of the things that we do is that when we differentiate the cells, um, we uh, in, we convince them to produce much higher levels of these neurotrophic factors. And uh, so essentially we take a mesenchymal stem cell and we turn it into a super secretor of these uh, repair
0: molecules. You've conducted a, a phase two study of the therapy. What did it show?
1: So what we were able to show in phase two was that uh, the treatment was safe and well tolerated, that uh, we were able to influence the treatment uh, and disease biomarkers consistently. And we had some promising early signs of efficacy that uh, was seen primarily in individuals who whose disease was progressing more rapidly. And uh, what we've done after, and in that phase two trial, was a single uh, treatment. Uh, we now have uh, fully enrolled a phase three trial, and uh, the big changes were that we uh, have, uh, rather than using a single treatment, we are using a repeated dosing, and we've also uh, focused uh, exclusively in the phase three on uh, what we call rapid progressors, those whose uh, treatment decline is in the upper half of the rate of uh, ALS decline. And uh, we think that that's a group where we're more likely to see a treatment signal.
0: And is the expectation that this will slow progression, or is there any evidence that it actually reverses the condition?
1: Well, we're hoping that we can slow progression and uh, stabilize the disease. Um, I think that it would be very difficult to reverse damage already done um, you know in the in the uh, in ALS there probably are neurons and other tissues that are um, functioning poorly but haven't died there's some tissue that has died and uh, you know I think that influencing the cells that are still alive and trying to improve their function is really one of the biological goals of the treatment uh, you know I think it's it's safe to say that uh, because the huge unmet need is so great in ALS that, you know, any, any significant impact on disease progression would be uh, a much-needed and much-welcomed uh, addition for patients and their families.
0: The California Institute for Regenerative Medicine provided $15.9 million in funding for your Phase three trial. How significant was it for you to get this funding?
1: Well, it goes without saying that uh, no no company has too much money, particularly small startup companies like us. Uh, I think that with uh, you know, I can say that without this, this help uh, would have been very much more difficult for us to do the phase three trial. it's it's much appreciated. Uh, in the um, you know grant review process, uh, it's a very uh, intensive uh, process for those that have gone through it. And I can say that one learns a lot through it, one strengthens one's case. And uh, I think that um, we are very appreciative of the support that we received from the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine. And uh, as you know, uh, I think my, my records suggest that they've only supported three phase three trials in the past, and one of them uh, is ours. So we're very, very grateful for that help.
0: What are you using as the endpoint for the phase three study, and how might the phase three study differ from the phase two study?
1: Well, in some ways, it's it's similar in that we're using something called the ALS Functional Rating Scale. This is a 48-point rating scale with 12 questions and four points per question. The questions can fit into four domains. In other words, uh, motor function and two domains, uh, breathing. And then a fourth domain of uh, swallowing and speech. And, uh, it's, it's been very well validated. There's a lot of data on this outcome measure in terms of how it uh, correlates with survival and quality of life. And it's quite measurable. The centers that we work with are experienced in doing this assessment. So, uh, so I think that's a standard way of looking at it. I think there are some statistical Ways of treating the, the score change in the ALS functional rating scale that, uh, may be slightly different in phase three, but ultimately, uh, we're using a very similar outcome measure. Um, the other, the other outcome measures that we're looking at are, uh, measure, direct measures of breathing function, something called the vital, something called vital capacity, which is an important outcome measure in ALS. And uh, we're also looking obviously at survival and um, tracheostomy free survival. Uh, so these are these are fairly standard ALS uh, outcome measures, and I think we we have some fairly good support from the scientific community that this is the right way to go.
0: If all goes well, when might you be in a position to file for regulatory approval?
1: Well, our plan is to finish the study and generate a, a data package to share with the uh, FDA. And uh, again, uh, I think at that point we'll see uh, we'll see what the regulatory path looks like. I think it would be uh, difficult to anticipate that ahead of time.
0: You're also looking at MS, autism, Parkinson's, and Huntington's disease, among other conditions. Are you using the same cells for these? Are they prepared differently to treat different conditions?
1: Great question. Uh, We have uh, quite extensive preclinical animal model data in uh, all the conditions that you have described. Um, In each of these conditions, we've looked at the same cell, uh, and we see uh, similar uh, types of responses where we're able to reduce inflammation and uh, decrease uh, and preserve brain tissue uh, in, in each of these particular models. Um, currently, we have a clinical program using Neuron, which is our which is our signature technology in uh, ALS, which is in phase three. We have a phase two MS program using the same cell technology. But in addition, we have experience using a, a cell derivative called exosome. These are um, smaller, uh, cell-free. Um, uh, Packages that are bound by membranes and contain the material that the same material that our cells uh, make. We are currently looking at that in a number of preclinical models. So we have uh, different approaches that we can take. One advantage of exosomes is that uh, they're easier to handle. Um, We can load the cargo into them so we can change what uh, the content that's being delivered to other cells. And we can also change the surface properties of exosomes now that we can target them to specific uh, areas. So we're looking at all those uh, features. Um, Currently we only have two clinical programs, but we are very active uh, with um, animal experiments and then thinking about what our next, uh, what our next indication would be uh, in terms of clinical trials. So more to come. I would, I would stay tuned next year. I think we'll be making an announcement uh, in the coming few months.
0: Ralph Kern, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Medical Officer of Brainstorm Cell Therapeutics. Ralph, thanks so much for your time today. Dan, it's been a pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org.